Hey everybody and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield and I am the co-director of Charts at Billboard. Joining me as always is Billboard's Deputy Editor Digital, Katie Atkinson. Hi. Hey there. How's it going? Great. Yourself? I am fabulous. Should have a nice weekend? Oh, absolutely. Do anything exciting? Not really. No barbecuing this weekend? No barbecuing. Bridal shower. Bridal that's, shower. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. A lot of rosé bubbly. Oh. That's <laughs> the best kind. Um, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news about Logic, David Byrne, and for all you folks hell-bent for leather, yeah. Judas Priest. Yeah. Plus, we'll be chatting about how Fifth Harmony has announced they'll be taking a hiatus. Aww. Well, in addition, uh, in, in slightly happier news, we've got an interview with Kayala Settle. We chat with the singer-actress about the breakthrough success of her song, This Is Me, from The Greatest Showman, her experience of performing on the Oscar-nominated track on the Academy Awards, her debut EP, and much more. So stick around for that in just a bit. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on iTunes so you won't miss a single episode, and give us a rating or review while you're at it. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit iTunes.com slash Billboard Podcast. So simple. So simple. And now we have to move into sad news. Hmm. Just like, let's just jump in, just throw you in the deep end. In a shock to harmonizers everywhere, Fifth Harmony announced Monday morning that they are going on an indefinite hiatus in order to pursue solo endeavors. Did they say indefinite in their posting? I think they just said hiatus. hiatus. Okay. I mean, I guess all hiatuses by definition are indefinite. Yeah. Otherwise, it would just be a break or a breakup or etc. Yeah. They posted a statement to their social accounts, which reads in part, quote, Reflecting on the past six years since we started on X Factor, we've realized just how far we've come, and we appreciate everything so much, more now than ever. We've really had one hell of a memorable journey together and can't begin to express our gratitude to y'all for coming along with us on this wild ride. After six years going hard nonstop, we also realized that in order to stay authentic to ourselves and to you, we do need to take some time for now to go on a hiatus from Fifth Harmony in order to pursue solo endeavors. We're all very excited and grateful to be able to take this time to learn and grow creatively and really find our footing as individuals. In doing this, we are allowing ourselves to gain new experiences, strengths, and perspectives that we can bring to our Fifth Harmony family. So the statement ends with a hopeful note. The group still has shows planned through the end of the year, and they plan to perform those shows. Mm -hmm. So that also ups the ante on those shows. If you would like to see Fifth Harmony perform and you haven't had a chance yet, better get into one of these shows by the end of the year. Yeah. Uh, Fifth Harmony was formed in 2012 when each of the members, Dinah Jane, Lauren Haregi, Normani Corday, Allie Brooke, and original member Camila Cabello all auditioned as individual singers and were placed in a group by judge and producer Simon Cowell. Cabello famously departed the group in 2016, releasing her debut solo album just earlier this year, and the group put out a self-titled album in summer 2017, their first as a foursome, and their last for now. So, Keith... Let's digest all this yes. as, as pop music lovers and fans. Um, well, I think this is probably something they should have said in December 2016. Ooh, really? Uh, yeah. Well, uh. I mean, look. Um, so Camila departed the group in December 2016. Um, after, depending on whose story you hear, you know, 
Camila basically saying the other four didn't really jive with her wanting to do solo stuff, but still also be part of Fifth Harmony mm-hmm. and like make her own solo album, blah, blah, blah. Right. And, you know, there's there's a difference of opinion between them and her. Um but at that point, they were really at the high point of Fifth Harmony. Yeah. So I think there was probably a gamble that was going to happen. Should we do another Fifth Harmony project, mm-hmm. um, you know, to build on the success that we've had with Work From Home and we had like actual true, true legitimate hit singles with radio success and the album did well 24-7 was the album before that. Um, 727. 727. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Perhaps they should have actually said, you know, we're all going to take time to do individual projects now giving way to Camila and the other four girls to do their own thing because the next album that came after that the self-titled album last year didn't do incredibly well didn't do as much as the there, previous there, releases there was no work from home sides hit on it down was like a top 50 hit on hot 100 down to many people was kind of a retread of work from home right right um I mean, the album it, did peak at number four or de- debut at number four on mm-hmm. the War 200 yeah I, that's so. That's just my opinion. I think you know. In hindsight, it's always twenty twenty, right? <clears throat> so you think, well, maybe if they had sort of said this statement, then with the five of them amicably choosing to go on on solo things, but it seems like four of them and the label really wanted another Fifth Harmony album, right? And Camila's like, nah, yeah, I think yeah. I want to do my solo thing now. Yeah. So maybe it just wasn't even an option at that point. I mean, their fandom is no less boisterous than it ever was. It's just like work from home went beyond mm. that fandom. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that, you know, they're definitely leaving the door wide open. They're very careful with this wording, hiatus and solo endeavors and not like we're all breaking up and we hate each other now. It's like they're they're going to test the waters. And if those waters are not kind to them, they'll come back to that Fifth Harmony family probably pretty quickly. If 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 the label wants another Fifth Harmony project. Fair enough. We've I mean, seen a lot of this with many girl groups. In sync went on hiatus, didn't they? It's true, but in, that's in that example, <clears throat> it was obviously like Justin Timberlake forced all their hands. I mean, like he, it was all up to him, and it was like he went out and tested the water. And Insync could have probably gone on as a four piece, maybe, unless there was some contractual thing saying that they couldn't. Yeah, maybe I don't know, but it's I all, it these seems, boy band girl group things always difficult. It's to hard. Out. See, the fact that like Camila left and she was, you know, not even arguably the breakout star. She obviously was the breakout star. Yeah. The fact that she left, it really like all four of them have equal parts in this thing whereas like with destiny's child it's like whenever but beyonce feels like you know making a destiny's child project she can just say hey kelly and michelle like let's do it <laughs> yeah you know so we'll see chart um, chat chart chat let's run the billboard chart numbers and do the chart chat here are three of the biggest headlines on the charts at least in my opinion mm-hmm. first up logic scores his second number one album in less than a year on the billboard 200 albums chart as this new mixtape bobby tarantino 2 debuts atop the list um, the set bows with 119,000 equivalent album units earned in the week ending March 15th, according to Nielsen Music. And of that sum, just 32,000 were in traditional album sales. Uh, the bulk of the, re- the remainder was pushed by streams. Yeah. Shock. Um, Logic topped the Billboard 200 less than a year ago with his last studio album, Everybody. Um, and that album opened at number one. Um, on the list dated May 27th, 2017, with 247,000 units earned. Um, and of that, 196,000 were in traditional album sales. Obviously, a big studio project is going to probably naturally have a bigger debut. Versus a mixtape. 
Um, next up, David Byrne earns his highest charting album ever on the Billboard 200 as American Utopia enters at number three with 63,000 units. Um, Byrne's debut is driven by traditional album sales as effectively all of its units were in pure sales. So unlike Logic, which had a lot of streams, David Byrne got so much. Mm. Um, then again, that's not terribly surprising for a um, kind of veteran alt-rock act. Yes. Yeah. Um, American Utopia's arrival was enhanced by sales generated from a concert ticket album sale oh, redemption oh, offer. Where have I heard about those before? Mm, um, <laughs> um, and uh, it's it, it's with his tour that started earlier in March. Um, Byrne, surprisingly, has never been in the top 10, either as a solo artist or with his previous band, Talking Heads. Wow. Yeah. Um, lastly, rock band Judas Priest Debuts at number five on the Billboard 200. It's a big Billboard 200 week, um, honestly. After some weeks where nothing happens at the top of the Billboard 200, we got a lot of stuff happening. That's Keith's bread and butter over here. Yeah. So if this sounds like you, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> the Billboard 200 albums chart with their new album, Firepower, um, and it marks the group's highest charting album ever. Believe it or not, Judas Priest, who's been charting for decades, finally has their highest charting album. The album surpasses the group's previous chart high, logged just in 2014, when Redeemer of Souls debuted and peaked at number six. I feel like you want to say each of their album titles like with some sort of like hefty firepower. Firepower. <laughs> it's like hellbent for leather. Breaking the law. Breaking the law. Okay. Um, anyway, Firepower, which is the act's 18th studio album, bows with 49,000 units. And of that sum, 48,000. 48,000 were in traditional album sales. The act's best sales week since 2005 when Angel of Retribution... Angel of Retribution. ...bowed with 54,000 copies sold. <laughs> um, fun. <laughs> like David Byrne's album, Judas Priest uh, was also uh, enhanced, bolstered by uh, sales generated from a ticket bundle. Um, it's the rage. It's what the kids are all doing it's these all days. all the rage. Um, and their tour started actually just on March 13th. Um, so there is your big chart news for the week. Uh, on the Hot 100, God's Plan is still number one. God's Plan. God's Plan. No no exciting, no super exciting action on the Hot 100. Otherwise, I would have given you an update. Yeah. So, so Billboard 200 this week. That's it's fine. All, it's all about the Billboard 200 Indeed. this week. Um, and now it's time for our interview with Kayala Settle. If you watched the Academy Awards, you saw the singer-actress give a show-stopping performance of the Oscar-nominated tune This Is Me from The Greatest Showman. So we, of course... Asked Kayala all about her experience on the Oscars. Plus, we also talked about her new EP, which covers artists ranging from Chris Stapleton to Nika Costa, and her long journey from being a Shakespeare major in college to a star-making role in The Greatest Showman. Amazingly, the Tony Award-nominated performer says she's always been, quote, hiding from being introduced to the world. But now, obviously, she is no longer hiding. In fact, she terms it as her own renaissance. Take a listen to our chat with Kayala Settle. Welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast, Kayala Settle. Hi. How are you? I'm really good. How are you? I'm swell. Great, Um, great, great. um, Before we get to anything else... Oscars, Oscars, Oscars. <laughs> um, even though obviously it happened a little while ago, um, so long ago. So, I mean, just <laughs> it was like maybe six years ago. Maybe, <laughs> maybe six years ago. Um, uh, well, on the show, you performed, of course, the Academy Award nominated "This Is Me." I did um, in a performance that the New York Times I, and I. Oh quote, no! Here we go. No, the New York Times called it "quote the most electrifying number of the night," oh. and that it should have opened the show. Oh, oh that's it should so have nice opened and them. closed the show. <laughs> So nice of them. Um, So nice of them. 
have you come down from performing on the Oscars yet? Yeah, I think if that night for me uh, was a culmination of just so much of how long I'd been working on the film and how much I wanted to do right by Justin and Benj and, you know, do right by the people that were on stage and and sort of finally understanding um, how much the song has meant to so many people, not just nationwide, but worldwide. I didn't really understand it until that night. And um, it was finally the first time that I could actually celebrate that for myself and enjoy it with all the people that were around me. I had um, had told them, the kids that were behind me, um, I say kids because I'm a thousand and nine years old, just kidding, not even. <laughs> I, it was the first time that I realized that this, what an impact this has made, and not on just them and everyone around the world, but myself, because I had learned so much about it, about myself through the song, and was continuing to learn about myself. And it was a great thing. It was a great thing. It was a very celebratory thing for me. And I can only imagine what it means to other people. And so I turned around to them and I said, you know, the only difference between uh, us and them in the audience is that you know more and you're more unafraid than those that are in the audience. And you have been given a platform tonight to let those that are in the audience join you and be unafraid know that they can get there for that too. one moment mm-hmm. um, because we are all so similar in the regard of being in the human condition and we are those people we're completely different and should be physically and mentally and spiritually and socially simply uh, because we're you know products of our own environment however because we're human beings we're the same mammals we're the, we function in the same way and uh, and I think it was that one time that I said to them let them know that you can, that everyone can feel this way tonight. And it's a safe place to feel that where, in that moment. Where did the, um, the, the chorus behind you, where did they, were they recruited? Did you know some of the folks? I had no idea. I, 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 no, I, I who they were. They were, <clears throat> they were great, but I had no idea who they was. Just kidding. <laughs> there was actually a few of them that were on the original uh, soundtrack. I oh. saying from the very beginning of uh, workshops. Oh, they were ago. in that room with yeah. you when you were workshopping? When I was one of them, yeah. Wow, wow. And I wasn't playing this big old part. Right. That big old part didn't exist mm-hmm. until we started filming, and it sort of became what it was and has become. So I was with them in the trenches, you know, trying to help you and uh, Michael Gracie, you know, sort of create this piece and wonder and figure out where it fits where it fit in and how it would fit in and how it would continue on and if we could give it a life and um and now I can't believe what's happened to it I have no I just have no comprehension of it whatsoever it's a good thing but I just I can't I can't believe it I can't believe it at all Um, and back at that Oscars crazy night um did you get to meet anyone at the show that you were just kind of uh bowled over by oh yeah I mean it, it was I there were the whole the whole award season, I had those moments. Yeah. There were moments when I was able to, you know, I got to meet Dame Helen Mirren that night who grabbed my arms and said, you know, you were so spectacular. Congratulations. And I looked at her and said, you're Dame Helen Mirren. And that is a great sentence for anyone to <laughs> say you, in the world. Did you say you're Dame Helen Mirren? I did. I, that's all I said. She's like, and, and I gave I her am. a hug. You are correct. My name is Dame. <laughs> I, I, you're, you're Dame Helen Mirren and you First win. You won, you won. I mean, you, you, you win. Did you get to reunite with Meryl Streep? 
who you were in a film with called Ricky and the Flash. She was in the very front. She row, was. And she was. She gave you a standing ovation. She did. Both her and Denzel did. It was, uh, there were a lot of people that were doing that. Brian Fogel was doing that, who I'd also met throughout the award season, who he himself had won an Oscar that night uh, for Icarus. And it was, it was so fun, too. Once you get past the red carpet of it all, and you get into that room, and you get to see the people that, if you've had that opportunity, like myself, ironically enough, with you know Meryl Streep or to meet Brian Fogel um, it's like getting in with this group of friends that were all were all misfits in these amazing gowns with this amazing mm-hmm. hair and makeup and jewelry that we have no business wearing because <laughs> right. it's more expensive than homes you know what I mean with security <laughs> standing outside and but it's it's just this great room of we made it this far mm. so let's just celebrate in that and there's so many people that were and continue to be in that room each season that are exemplary and feel that way and so it, it felt so good to be just even among them and yes i did get to I was gonna say, say get hi back to her to Meryl, <laughs> and back to Meryl. i'm like you're being so democratic everyone is amazing. it's not democratic no 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 it's true that's how i feel it's so it's corny it's embarrassing but um but yeah i saw her and i just gave her a big old shout out and hello at the very end of that number before they cut to uh cut to commercial i was just it was so great and nice to see her again. And That's sweet. Yeah. Um, well, This Is Me has been obviously the breakout success story of The Greatest Showman. <laughs> um, you, you giggle. Why? I giggle because I just, uh, I, there are moments in there just I just so don't ridiculous. believe it. Yeah. No, no, but what is the deal? No, I just, I don't. There are times that I still don't believe it. I still, because, there are, because like I said, I'm, I'm still learning from it. And it still affects me in ways that I don't think, that are still so private to me that I forget. What is making it so worldwide is that people are saying, yes, it's private to me. And then you hear someone else Mm -hmm. say, I'm having that same moment. And they turn and they go, really? And I'm doing the same thing going, wait, you are? So instead of being able to like plow through people and give autograph, I'm spending like 20 minutes with each person going, you know, what is your, I know I've turned into like this peer counselor, which is like a nightmare for my poor publicists who are going, (laughs) get in the car, we gotta go. And I'm like, but I just want to talk to these kids because I know, and and it's not just kids, it's adults, it's grown men and women and people who are trying to still do this journey in this rat race called life. And it's, it's crazy to me that this song is what is it is making them realize all of that it's funny you actually sort of answered my question because you've probably had the question before so you've already answered it but i'm going to say what the question was <laughs> um, so people know what she just answered um why do you think the song has resonated with people so much because it's, it's done so well on our charts i mean it's already top 10 on our dance club song oh chart my God. because there's a, a dance That's remix amazing um it debuted on its first airplay chart this week by the way oh my God. It debuted on our adult pop songs chart so radio stations are now getting on board with the track oh my God. obviously it's already sold a ton the soundtrack itself was number yeah. one for two weeks on the billboard yeah. 200 chart um but it is kind of insane how everyone can have a little part of them identify with it yeah because whatever it is and what you said about having to become a counselor we've heard that before from some people who have had really emotional songs that touch people and everyone wants to talk to them about like how it made it's very true and it's that's an artist thing Mm -hmm. that is with if you and i'm I'll, I'll say it and I'll be proud to say it. That's the reason why I didn't want to sing it in the first place because I knew that it was going to affect me in the way that it affected mm-hmm. me. So you could have had Whitney sing it or, you know, 
anybody else but really, just Whitney really um, <laughs> like sing the song and I, I would have been like I, I can't I can't handle this because this is affecting me in a way just because of I know I remember for her and how she could tell a story and what was in her th- what came out of her throat and the mm-hmm. life that would always come out of her voice each time she sang there was so much there that she had to say uh, regardless of what the words were and it was, and so just reading the words and, and hearing the music, I was petrified to sing it because it was effect. I, cu- I could not get through it. I couldn't get through it on the Oscars. I was standing there going, there Which was a moment. Which is what made it even more. Uh, there, because it was the moment yeah. where I went, I'm on this stage. I may never get to be here again. I may get to be here again, but I'm alive and I'm here and I'm getting this moment and it's i don't know if this will ever happen again and all i can do is just share it with as many people as i possibly can was that the part during the bridge when you was just, oh you it, and that's that? why and it, it's the bridge that always kills me because it always just leaves me there it's one of the most naked moments in my life in a song so naked because you're just left there with a tune and your words and those are the words that them all they're the best words but they're the worst words ever because you <laughs> it just it cuts you to your core because all of it's wrong and all of it's right, and it's, you know, it's may wrong, he rest in right. I, I'm right, but and may he rest in peace, Steve Hawking. He is the one mm. that said, "If we weren't imperfect, none of us would be here." And in, therein lies the perfection of each of us. I did not mean to go this deep on this podcast, but I'm so sorry. It's okay. <laughs> deep thoughts. No deep thoughts. Anyway, have a good day. Bye. Settle. <laughs> Um, you know, many people are just starting to get to know you now, thanks to the Greatest Showman. But you've been you've been here, you've been singing, you've been dancing, you've been I acting have. on stage since the mid two thousands, um, in touring productions of musicals on Broadway, yeah. um, earning a Tony along the way. So, you know, what is it like to kind of like now all of a sudden, you know, be introduced to the world, even though you've been here and you've been doing this? It's funny because I've always been hiding from it. I've been mm-hmm. hiding from whatever this is my entire <laughs> life. There were there were pockets of this career or whatever you want to call it, where I've actually said, I'm tapped out. I don't want to do this. I'm going to go be a stagehand. I don't want to do this. I don't want to talk to people. I'm afraid of people. I just, I'm going to walk away from everything that this was and is. And the last time that I tried to do that was with Hugh Jackman. And we recorded, we started recording or filming uh, on set. uh, This is me. And he came, he showed up. And so did Rebecca Ferguson Mm -hmm. and all of their, excuse me, and all of their family and friends. And their drivers and their drivers' family and friends. And the makeup were artists all, and the I mean, they the were all there. Everybody was like bawling and crying. And I'm like, is everybody okay? And they're like, yeah, we're okay. We're fine. And at the end of the day, or the next day, I should say, um, Hugh came up to me before we started filming for the next shot, whatever it was. And he said, You've, you have changed the course of what's about to happen in this film. And I said, so <laughs> what is, I, what, so what does that have to do with me? Because I'm running away after this film opens. He goes, you won't be able to. And um, I need you to know that if you can make a choice, you can go pull a Greta Garbo and run away and, and do that if you want. Or trust me and know that I will have your back nonstop until you're in the ground, six feet under. And that my family will have your back nonstop till you're six feet under in the ground and trust me that you can ride this through and I said and I still do to this day every day that's why I blame him every day it's his fault (laughs) and I said um okay I trust you I trust you wow you have to be all in at this point yeah yeah and I to be fair to be honest um I'm grateful that I am 
I'm grateful that I am because it's um, it's made me see things, like I said, that I've never really cared to even crack in myself to peel things away that, you know, make me discover who I am. God knows what it's doing for anybody else. I'm all, I hope it's doing it for them, too. But I'm like actually having my own like renaissance of <laughs> just kind of understanding that that one of my biggest loves that I thought I hated more than anything in the world is music and creating it and and telling stories through it and watching people not only be affected by it but share it with each other and then turn it into what they need it to be and then give me ideas back so that I can make more of it and which is what has sort of started happening now and uh it's one of the the biggest gifts ever and um you Talked about like if you were to run away, your running away would be to be a stagehand. Yeah. So you would basically stay still in the I still theater would, world. Yeah. You're not going because anyway. I, no, but I would not be in the lights. Right. I would be in the dark. And what were you <laughs> doing before theater? Uh, I mean, I should say before professionally doing theater. Because like you, I this. I'll tell you some of your life story. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't wait. This well, is no, my no. Favorite. I mean, I, I'm sketching it out. Like you, you, you graduated from high school, um, sort of in the early '90s. Mm-hmm. Then you went to college for a couple years. You, I did. You went to a. I want to say you went to a college in Utah or Nevada. I went to. I went to a college. <laughs> both. both. I went to three different colleges. You one in Hawaii. One, okay. And then I went to one in southern Utah, then and then I went to a one in Nevada briefly. Because they had a Shakespeare program, right? They had a Shakespeare program in Utah. Damn it. It's okay. You're doing great. But so, but then, <laughs> but then there's like basically kind of like uh, almost like a decade, it seems like, between sort of when you went to college and like kind of when you kind of broke through in touring productions. Were you trying to get into music at the time? I was. Were I was you... actually uh, doing a lot of songwriting okay. at the time. I left all of that behind because I was a Shakespeare major. And was uh, that ironically enough? That's what I studied and can't get arrested for it because everybody hears me singing. Go, oh my god! Please keep singing. And I'm like, okay, dang it! But you just <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta go where it is. Um, but yeah, I, I turned to songwriting a lot uh, because I was still, again, like I said, was coming out of university and realizing that there was you just when you when you're an artist and you go, which I'm now kind of admitting that I am. You go through all of these educational levels and you go, why did I do that? Mm -hmm. Because I should have just hit the pavement and lived my life. And I was and I was sort of a late bloomer in that way. And I was and it brought me into Las Vegas where I sort of kind of went, "Okay, should I go community theater? Should I go and do all the R&B that I wanted to do? Should I do a like review on the Yeah, like I don't like like, I don't do any of that. I mean, my my whole my whole um, everything has been an R&B singer in a studio. That's all I've done my whole life. And on the side, because I could and wanted to, I was studying Shakespeare. That was it. And then somehow within those time periods when people were you know, they were talking about, you know, musical theater classes and all these musical theater things. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. Hmm. Um, I just really want to play maybe like a dynamite on hairspray. Maybe that's <laughs> it. You know, maybe I can do that. You kind of set your goals kind of um, high, lowish high. No, no. How dare you? That's high. As, don't even. Don't play me. That is high. How <laughs> dare you? You need to take that back. That is high. <laughs> that is a high goal, honey. But you that en- I still never hit. But you ended up becoming Tracy Turnblad instead of, you know, I mean, you ended up. They're all high goals, man. Yes, mm-hmm. I know. I know. <laughs> don't don't um, do me like that, Keith. So when, so when you were in Vegas, you, I, I, and I know lots of people have asked you about this, but at some point you did sing background for Gladys Knight. At some yeah, point. she, um, she started a, um, she became um, 
uh, uh, like she did a like a nighttime, obviously, because she was doing she was playing Vegas at the time. And yeah, you're not doing the breakfast show, <laughs> exactly. Gladys and, and breakfast and brunch. Gladys and brunch. Um, Endless and mimosas. With she Gladys. had right. She had this incredible choir that she had started to form. And at the time, um, she was looking for a particular sound and um, was asking people to just come in. And I was hanging out with some friends of mine that were a part of it. And I went in to be a part of it. And um, so very briefly, I was a part of that choir that um, sang One weekend or? No, maybe like a month. Oh, wow. And then I ended up going, driving all the way to L.A. to, to be a dynamite, which was the highest thing that I could do. And I did not get it. I had to play the other one. You play the other one. I'm just saying. I wish everyone could see your eyes right now. I on know, this right? podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. There are so, then I'd really get worse. So many shady eyes. So many of the shadies. So many right shades. Right over the microphone. Uh, you know, you recently released your debut EP. I did. Chapter one. Thank you for mentioning that. Of course. Uh, you cover songs by Bette Midler, Chris Stapleton, Kelly Price, Gladys Knight, Nika Costa. Yeah. I mean, this is like a real cross section yeah, of artists. Those are all people that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, there were other ones. I had to. I went and spoke with. With, I have to give props to Greg Wells, who is a massive uh, record producer. And didn't was, he produce the Greatest Showman? He was. He did indeed. Yeah. And um, he uh, he came to me in an email and sort of said, "Hey, you don't know me, uh, but I'm working on in post on uh, producing this album, and you bring me to tears all the time. And I just wanted to let you know, and I hope that we can." you know, have coffee sometime or mm. something. And for about, and he'll tell me this and he'll call me on it for probably a good 40 minutes. I was texting my, my director going, why did you give this man my email? Who is this person? He's freaking me out and wanted to delete this email so bad. I was so petrified. Girl, I know that's just who I am. I was, Let me do it. I was afraid you're going to say, so I wrote back to him and said, can I like maybe get you coffee no. or like, you know, be, be your stage <laughs> no, hand? No, 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 no. Can, can I just no. sing background but for you? But sidebar, that being said, <laughs> When I can, when I know what he's talking about, because most of the time I don't, we pretty much geek out on sound gear, which is pretty sad. (laughs) It's real sad. Anyway, that being said, I, like, 40 minutes later, text, like, emailed him back, and I was like, hi, how are you? And um, cut to, finally, we got to November, and um, we had already had a meeting, and for about three hours, it was kind of like, what is your story? Do you have a story? And I didn't think I did. Mm. And then three hours later, and like a tissue box later, between both of us, um, I discovered that I had a story and that I wanted to share it. And it was something that I, was actually saving me through throughout all of the press that I was doing for, you know, when I was for Fox and going all over the world. On the side, I was able to work with Greg mm-hmm. and create this EP that we had started and um and released and he had said i need you to bring all the songs that you've ever listened to over and over and over again that you have written harmonies to and bring them to me and then we'll pick we'll pick the five from there and that was the five that we picked it's a it's a great cross-section of music because it's you know there's a little bit of sort of like country rock there's i i was so surprised and tickled that you covered nika costa and I'm not even sure if Till I Get To You was even on one of her albums. I think it was just oh, a, yeah, it, it was. was just like a stray single. But I was just, it's such, it's such it's it was such on a, Can't, I'll tell you. It was on Can't Never Did Nothing. It was the, the first track. Where they ran all the words together. Yeah. 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 She's, you, have you seen her live before? Oh, yes. She's so amazing. She's an incredible live performer, which is why I also wanted to pay homage to her in uh, that EP. Um, you know, uh, 
obviously that sort of all these artists kind of represent sort of maybe um, elements of people that you enjoy mm-hmm. and kind of like all the different sort of parts of you. Who I am, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I read, and this was a little while ago, so maybe plans have changed. I read that maybe chapter two is coming down the road at some point. Very much so. Um, do we know when? Sometime this year? <laughs> We're hoping because we've already recorded quite a bit for it. You're kind of busy right now. Still with yes. the show. <laughs> These are busy. all great questions that I'm totally going to dodge um, because there's so the way, much it, involved. Atlantic Records is currently That's in the room right I'm now. That's what I'm saying. So I love them heaps and heaps. Uh, but uh, We're not joking. No. Atlantic, I'm, I'm staring at the publicist right now. Good to see you here. Aloha. The label is so great. They're, they actually really are. I'm not going to lie. Um, but yes, it, we've, had, we've actually um, worked quite a bit on it um what is so great about the relationship that i have uh with greg as a record producer is that excuse me when we get into the studio uh and we have the song that we've already sort of started putting together like i'll tell him or whoever the writers are that are on it that we're all you know kind of conglomerating on it um the song gets done in one day Mm -hmm. from beginning to end so we kick stuff out at that pace and that's normal for us because when we once we get into the groove of it all, that's all we want to do is keep going and going and going and going until we've pushed all the boundaries and then bringing it back to where he already knows what I need. There is an unspoken language that we actually have as musicians and artists. And what Greg and I have just as on a working, you know, in the working capacity is um, for me unprecedented. I've never had that before. And it's helped both of us to uh create so much like we actually were able and i'm gonna say it because i might get in trouble but oh well um you can cut it out later because it's a podcast um <laughs> we did uh we had the opportunity to do see a song bird set free um for the walmart commercial that aired once uh during the oscars that melissa mccarthy had um she actually had it Oh, the three um, different approved. commercials that they yes, filmed, right? Yes, and Melissa had had uh, that approved uh, for publishing and all the rights and everything, and so we had gone through with CS people and said, "Look, <laughs> look at, we would love to do our own version of it, of a, a similar along the lines of the one that we did for Walmart, but actually create it from start to finish mm-hmm. on our own. Do we have your blessing, your permission, and all that stuff? And they said yes. That's right. And so for a very brief period, we were able to release it. And that will also be part of Chapter 2 ah. as well, along with um, stuff that we've already done. I'm also going into France next week uh, over to Mix with the Masters, which is a program that they have every year uh, for some of the most elite uh, record producers and those who are uh, working on mixing um, for uh, albums and so on and so forth, and recording a song there for uh, Chapter Two as well. Will awesome. Chapter Two with be, Greg? Will Chapter Two be covers again, or will no. it have some orig- original stuff? It's all original. The only one that we have as a cover is Birds of Free. Um, last thing, um, because I, I'm, we've kept you a teensy bit longer than we I know, anticipated. but I kind of don't want to leave that to go back. Well, there are other people here that might kill me. Um, I'm making it sound like there's a bunch of mobsters in the room. There's not. It's fine. There's literally so two. There's literally two other people here, um, but they also have you know weapons. Um, 
Um, are there any plans to do some live shows? Um, Absolutely. Because I know you're doing Miscast in New York, but that's not your own show. I actually am not. You're doing not? This because I will be in France. Okay, well, that's a good reason not to do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I actually can't get back in time. But you're planning on doing some sort of live performances, solo shows. At very some much point. so. Very okay. much so. In the very near future, again, within the next six months. Watch this space. Follow you on Twitter. Get yeah, all the information. Very much, very much so. Because I didn't think that, I, to be honest, I didn't think that anyone wanted to hear it and then I started and then Greg came up and he's like are you nuts of course people want to hear I wanted to hear it and I'm all well who are you that's an inside joke but you know whatever and uh then it just kind of blew up so wow well everything has been blowing up for you yes yeah keep us posted on those live shows duh. we want to know about it duh <laughs> thank you so much for doing this thank, thank you so much you for coming thank in you. thank you Thank you again to the lovely Kayla Settle for making the time to come by and talk with us. Uh, she was such a joy to speak with, and yes. uh, I can't wait to see some live shows from her. She's a fun lady. And now, it is time for the Chart Stat of the Week. This week in 1986, Heart got its first number one on the Hot 100 chart with These Dreams. How did you not sing that? These Dreams! <laughs> After notching a string of hit singles in the mid-1970s, including classic rock staples Crazy on You, Magic Man, and Barracuda, Hart, led by sisters Anne and Nancy Wilson, had hit a commercial slump in the early 1980s. After being dropped by their then-label Epic Records, the band signed with Capitol Records, but there was a catch. Anne told Rolling Stone in 2016 that they, quote, reluctantly agreed with the label to bring in outside songwriters to work with the sisters and to shift the band's sound and visual style to be more compatible with MTV. The gamble paid off. The band's next album, the simply titled Heart, became its first and only Billboard 200 number one uh, in 1985, and it spawned four top 10 Hot 100 hits, accompanied by glossy video vixen visuals, including the group's first number one, the ballad These Dreams, written by Martin Page and Elton John's longtime lyricist, Bernie Taupin. While Hart last visited the Hot 100 back in 1994, the group continued to rack up entries on the Billboard 200 on through 2016. However, however, the future of the group is up in the air uh, after Anne's husband, Dean Wetter, pleaded guilty to assaulting Nancy's teen twin sons backstage at a 2016 show. The sisters have since embarked on separate projects, and Anne told Billboard this year, um, actually last year, 2017, that she doesn't know if Hart will return. Um, and in a separate interview, Nancy said that, quote, time is the healer. I'm just wishing and hoping for the best. Uh, me too. Same. Yeah. So there you have it. This week in 1986, on March 22nd, Hart hit number one with These Dreams. Okay, any parting words, Katie? Man, just hoping for more hot Billboard 200 action next week. <laughs> more, more concert bundles, maybe. Um, I'll give you a preview. <laughs> oh. There will be some significant impact from a Metallica bundle. Next oh, week. okay, Metallica. Uh, yeah, you can also say their album titles in that same Judas Priest voice. Hardwired to self destruct. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, what song should we get on? Go out on. I mean, we just talked about so many great heart songs. It feels like we did not, you know, we, we need to give a little taste of some great heart. Should, should it just be These Dreams? Yeah, let's just go These Dreams. All right, see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.